This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. And I am joined once again with Jim Sebastio. Hey, Jim. Hi, Brian. Good to see you again. You too. We're going to plug right into the topic. But before we do that, uh, we want to just remind everybody uh, to go to iTunes and write us a review on the podcast. If you haven't done that yet, we check those reviews. We learn from them. We are encouraged by the good ones and we're challenged by the bad ones. So uh, whenever we would get a bad one, that is. Um, most people have been positive and we're grateful for that. Uh, but it just helps us get some general feedback. Also, you can go to the web page of practicalshepherding.com and go to the contact page there. There's a specific page where you can reach out to us. You can submit a question you want us to tackle on the podcast. You can also do that through our social media. And we check those things and we cho- we do our best to try to address them eventually in a podcast episode. And uh, in fact, what we're going to tackle today is something that we have gotten questions for in the past. It's something that's maybe not super exciting for everybody to talk about, but we have to acknowledge this is important to talk about. Like Every pastor needs to be mindful, I think, of what we're going to talk about today. And that is, how does a church in this day and age lawfully protect themselves from all the different ways that a church can be sued, attacked, slandered, and that there's actually legal binding issues around it? And there's just numerous things we could talk about around this, uh, but w- and we're not going to be able to we're not going to be able to cover many of those. But we at least want to have the conversation and put it out there, reminding pastors that this is one of those things they didn't teach you at seminary, probably, but you need to know. And if you plead ignorance on it as and something happens, you don't get any brownie points for that. This is one of those things you have to be aware of and get ahead of and figure out and think through how to do it. So we want to have a conversation about it. I don't think we ever have had a conversation about this specifically. So Jim, will you just kind of give us a biblical framework for this as we're trying to have this this kind of conversation? Well, Brian, we're recognizing that the church lives in the world and and that we live in a fallen world. And we also live in we live in a world that is hostile to us and to the gospel. We live in a world that has used uh, legal systems in the past to persecute and to undermine and to destroy the church. That's happened throughout church history, right? Uh, where uh, where the state is legally set against the church. Uh, in America, we're not really there yet. Certainly, we're not there yet. We're not there. I don't think even to the degree that some people uh, are are saying that we are. But we do need to understand the times, like sons of Issachar. They understood the they understood the days in which they live, and they knew what Israel ought to do. And I think that's part of the understanding of that we are living in a world that is changing. We are living in a in a time in which you know, litigation against churches for and we want to make a distinction here there, that there is a litigation against a church a church sometimes for the pursuit of righteousness. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And that's one aspect, but then also we need to understand that there may be legal ramifications for pursuing uh, judgment issues uh, in, in, in a church, so that, for instance, there's the internal and then there's the external. Uh, internally, uh, the matter that if someone's disciplined, they may seek legal recourse against the church. That's, that's happened. Yeah. If there's abuse that takes place in the church, if someone's injured uh, in the church on the property, or on something, the property, yeah. uh, you know, so there's a lot of different things to think through. And I think Brian, you know, uh, among other things, so I think the general biblical framework of the recognition 
a fallen world, hostility against the church, uh, and then the, the determination uh, to, to strive to live righteously and to uphold a righteous standard in a situation where increasingly uh, some of the demands of God's law are, are, are going to be seen as hate speech. It's going to make some feel like they're being attacked by, by calling certain sins sins. And by a text that came to mind in, in thinking through all of this is, is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 21. I don't want to take a verse out of context, but you understand that what it's saying here uh, is that we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And that the church's reputation matters what we say and what we do, uh, not just theologically, uh, but morally and, and, and legally and ethically uh, is saying something about the church. The Lord's reputation is tied to the church, or this causes my name being blasphemed among the Gentiles. And so uh, we need to think through uh, when do we rightly protect ourselves. So, church, so pastors need to think through things like uh, insurance uh, in regard to you know, the, does the church have insurance and for certain things? Should a church retain an attorney to help them to think through some of these cultural issues? For instance, what do you, what do, you do if uh, a, a, say, a transgender person comes and they put an application, they, they've graduated from some seminary and they, they put in an application and, and, it's, and then it's denied, you know, because we're not going to allow someone and of course, there's a lot that goes behind that. But then, in regard to like, would they even be members? Could they, you know, a member of the church and all of that? But they don't meet the basic qualifications to be a member of our church. But if somebody comes and says, "Well, they want to use our building. Do we let anybody use our building yeah, and, for like and, a wedding? And, that would be a more a wedding, realistic, yeah, I think, a, too, a, yeah. a wedding yeah. or even some other civic event. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so we in the past we let all kinds of people use our our building, a blood drive. Uh, um, a, a local association meeting, uh, town council, you know, whatever, have used our building. And now we, th- we think, okay, we need to be more careful. And not only do we need to begin to think through things like, do we draft policies? Do we do we make changes to our constitution? Yeah, yeah. But then also, do we have some kind of legal counsel? And, and there are, thankfully, there are some organizations out there, and we're not trying to sell anyone we're not being sponsored by by anybody to to say any of this but there are things out there and to, to mention one uh, uh i think it's called church law institute that's that's here in kentucky you know that that we have that we have used as a as a church just for consultation and to uh we we uh, we have some kind of i think of a yearly retainer kind of a thing i think it's what it's called so I, I don't want to get into those things in a minute. I want to come back to something, though, as you're setting up the biblical framework. I also feel Romans Romans 13 matters in this conversation. Uh, wouldn't you say because of the the statement Paul makes about how how God ultimately uses the government authorities to accomplish his mm-hmm. his will, and and so I, I think of when you're talking about situations where a church is like wrongfully being uh, attacked or sued or whatever by a secular you know group or person or whatever it might be uh, that 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 setup that God has acknowledged is in place to bring justice in the world 
Um, don't you think Romans 13 also matters in this conversation? It does. And of course, Brian, that's been a huge thought in regard to the pandemic. Is, right. Is I was this, thinking about that. And, and do churches open in violation uh, of, of local or state mandates? And then how do you face that legally? I mean, that's, that's the thing. No, a year ago, who would have thought that we would have to perhaps bring in a lawyer to talk about whether or not we could even meet in our own property? I was thinking that too uh, on the Lord's Day. I was thinking that too. We're, I mean, we're both live in Kentucky, so we had interesting times in the early months of the pandemic. I mean, uniquely, like a lot of states did. But when the when the governor came down pretty hard to just close churches for a indefinite amount of time and some church and and carried out it in some pretty interesting ways and there were actually churches that sued the governor to right. be able to meet and won right and, and right. won and i remember thinking to myself and i never thought i would see this day where the church would sue the governor right. in a secular court and would actually win now we're in america where religious liberty is celebrated in different ways but I just I think of Romans thirteen in that moment that that was I think a I, I think a, um, one of the op- options where you could see God using the secular you know court system to be able to carry out what I do think was an overreach uh, by by, uh, by the governor in that moment and to go through the courts and um, the laws and to put it in the hands of you know I think I don't think it was the state supreme court but whoever that was that made that ruling and it's just been interesting to watch through all this. The from the gen through the attorney general to the governor fighting back and forth and suing each other almost like every other day for a for this. I mean, it was just a crazy thing to watch, wasn't it? It, it was, and and again, many churches are ill prepared for this. Exactly, and, and yeah. I think this caught a lot of us flat footed, and and so that's something we've. I mean, all of us have had to live with, and so I mean, there are churches in California that. Oh right, I yep. mean, that, yep. I mean, where I mean, government penalties and um, having to face financial penalties for meeting or whatever it was. Obviously, this this brother in Canada that got arrested for violating the. Oh, right, and again, you, you, we can argue was the wisdom jail, and all, yeah. all of that, but he was actually put in jail. Yeah, he and, was, and. Um, and so you know, we have to think through uh, this, and, and again, I think a lot of church, most churches would be very, very ill prepared for anything like this because it's just not on our radar, yeah. and I think it's being forced into our radar by certainly the pandemic. God willing, is going to be over, but the sexual revolution, I think, is going to be the primary matter uh, that we we are going to have to face and then Brian I think also coupled with that the issues of responsibility uh in regard to damage done at our churches where sin is committed or people are victimized mm-hmm. uh on our uh, in our churches through staff or through uh, you know, is there negligence? You know, perhaps in some cases, it's just how can you? You can't be so vigilant that nothing like this will ever happen. The question is, how are we going to respond? Yeah. And and people are going to respond today in ways they didn't respond necessarily in the past. Abuse has taken place in churches since there have been churches. Yeah. I mean, this has been going on for two thousand yeah. years. I I have little doubt. You know, I don't want to. I'm think, tempted to point out a particular church in the past, but you, you know, take a church in the 1800s and ask yourself: Was there nobody there that was ever molested? But what happened then is that 
it was all handled in house. It, 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 it you know, there's, there's no record of how these churches dealt with this. It wasn't right. taught in our seminaries. It wasn't, it, it probably still isn't taught in most of our seminaries and maybe is just only now beginning to, because you had the, the Roman Catholic church scandal. That's right. Uh, yep. and that became legal and the Vatican was responsible. Well, I think to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, that's right. And, and then now the chickens are coming home to roost in some of our Protestant organizations, yeah. and and specific churches are being uh, are going to be if so that are going to be targeted and it's, you know and I don't mean that necessarily in a negative way, but they're going to be held accountable in ways I should probably put it that way going to be held accountable in ways that they haven't been before that they needed to be that, you know, that, yeah, that they needed to to be. And, and, and and what could have been, again, what maybe could have been handled by an understanding of the proper roles of various authorities. And that is to say the church has its own realm of accountability and responsibility and the state does too. But then what happens is that churches, uh, have sometimes responded with things like non-disclosure agreements. Yeah, so, right. so that's a legal step that's being taken. So, uh, a, a kid gets abused in one in a church, which which can happen, and almost you know really in any church, uh, it gets discovered, and the and uh, the church didn't handle it well, and, and now that family is suing the church for damages. And so you settle out of court or you, you sign a non-disclosure. Brian, what are your thoughts on, on whether a church should sign a, a non-disclosure? Yeah, so I, I want to be on record that I think uh, non-disclosure agreements are I – see I see that they're used in the business world. I know why they're used in the business world. I think as a general rule are a bad idea for ministries and churches to function like that because – and for multiple reasons. And we're not doing this on that topic, but I want to be – I want to be on record to say I, I I believe it's a it's a bad idea because it it looks like you're trying to cover something up that maybe just needs to be put out there. So a lot of times they should be brought a, to light right? with a settlement. So I, I think that's the thing I want to acknowledge. And it silences. This. It has the potential. I mean, forever to silence a victim and, and, from from and, even being able to speak in, in ways that may be very helpful and healing for others. Like that's just the other thing I want to highlight is that uh, NDAs oftentimes silence the person who's been harmed. Yeah. So, and and I think that's wrong. Uh, victims need to be able to to be able to speak up, not just for their own sake. That's first. But to your point, a lot of times when victims speak up and tell their stories, it becomes an incredibly important healing moment for other people who've been victimized and harmed and abused or whatever, and haven't been able to have their opportunity to speak up or even have justice in regard to that. Yeah. So, and, and recognizing, if, so a lot of pastors. I think you again need to just inform themselves and think through these issues, think through them legally, but also think through them biblically, because I think the default is going to be that if you do hire a lawyer, you get sued. You're going to have to. You're going to probably have to hire a lawyer and to work through that. And the lawyer says, "Hey, let's just settle this, yeah. and let's do what we need to do to you know to make it so that it, it just goes away." Yeah. And I think we need to be able to think through some of those issues about, hey, this person in this case, I mean, this this may be a family that we took care of, and that. And that we are adding some further harm to and try to think through. And that, that's a very complicated issue. Yeah. We're not be able to get into, obviously, all of that. But, Brian, more, more likely than not, we are going to have to face things like the um, – you know the 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 baker. You know the 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 uh, should they bake the cake for the to celebrate the wedding? Should yeah. you uh, provide flowers? Is it to, you know to to do the photography? 
but but Brian, in our churches, we're going to have to face things like: Will we bless same-sex unions? Uh, yep. Will we? Um, what do we do if if we are going to be told that to speak against these specific sins, to to come out with a position about transgenderism or something like that, with a recognition that? You know, these are real people with real needs and real hurts and, and, made, and made in the image of God, but that you look at it and say the Bible's clear on some of these issues of biology and, and, and sexuality and sin is sin, and we have, to, we have to in every generation call that. We may be facing some legal ramifications. Is it right for us to think through ahead of time and prepare ourselves legally with our perhaps our church constitution or bylaws, or by making sure that there is a, a Christian attorney mm-hmm. knowledgeable in the constitution who is sympathetic and that we might be able to at least, we know who they are, whether we hire them, whether the church has the resources to hire them or not. And this is another issue. If so many churches don't have the resources, yeah. you know, um, what, 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 what's so, your suggestion? So let me do this. I think because we could go so many places with this conversation, obviously. Let's kind of do just kind of firing lightning round type stuff mm-hmm. and short answer stuff and maybe be able to just give some examples of, of what we're talking. So let me start with, so general, like insurance policies your church covers, what what do you all have that and you that you would recommend every church needs to probably have in, in general? Yeah, well, I, you need to have, I think, at least two things, and and one is uh, handling issues of injury right on, on the property. Uh, on the property, right. again, that's just part of the day and age in which we live. But then also, there there is some kind of, and I'm, I'm not exactly sure how it's phrased, but uh, an abuse type situation. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly, you know, tr- clergy abuse, and that's actually—I mean—that's part of what drives up premiums. And I, and I, and I think sure. I'm right. I think that's still the case that the number one claims against churches are in regard to some kind of a, abuse. Yeah, that's that's what churches get sued for far more than anything else. And so, I mean, you, you just—you have to be—you want to be prepared in that regard, in in other ways, and asking, have we helped to contribute in any way? To a to a climate where it's easy to abuse in our church, yeah, right. and We've then do we and it. then do we mishandle it when it when it happens? Right. And yeah. the the other thing, an insurance policy, like working with an insurance agent who works with churches, is not only do you have the policy in place, but they can be the ones to remind you on on protocol on how to handle this right. in a right way. So somebody comes forward with an abuse allegation, instead of this kind of internal investigation and keep it under wraps and 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 not reporting it not like an insurance company should be able to advise you to go this is what you carry out when this comes as part yeah. of the insurance policy right this way. is who you need to and, this and, is who you call and, and, this is what you do and we even need to understand brian legally and, and maybe this differs in state that we are legally required to report things yeah that's right that's right and that if that's we what don't I mean. and if we don't yeah you know, then then you know we are it's not only Yes, we're going to be held liable, but the the issue is that it's an issue of justice, and, and we need to understand that right. a crime against a child or against another person is going to be dealt with one way in the church according to our nature and authority, and dealt another way by the state by the according state, to its right. nature and to its authority. Do you have a, a lawyer on retainer for we, as a church? We do. Okay, so we we don't, 
on an official capacity. But what I have done as a pastor is I have built relationships with other lawyers and at different times sought kind of off the record counsel from people. And so I know who I can go to if I need to. And and yeah. so I but we don't have an official yeah. like lawyer on retainers. We we have well we have an organization that is geared toward church law. Okay. Yeah. And that keeps up with some of the changing matters, particularly I think again as it relates to the sexual revolution, which yeah. is uh, uh one of the ways in which we're likely to have to <clears throat> at least potentially. So Proverbs talks about a wise man sees danger and he yeah. hides himself. Yeah. And I think we need to have, I mentioned earlier, that wisdom of the sons of Issachar who understand the times and who know know, know what Israel ought to do. Yeah. And it's just, it has seemed so far off. It's just like the you're in America, it's 1938, 1939, and Hitler's invading Poland, and you know, that's far off. And, yeah. and Japan is gearing up for what they're gearing up for, but it's so, so far away. Yeah. And then suddenly, you know, the bombs are dropping and on, a, on one of your states, and, and all of a sudden your men are going off to war. And, and you, what do you do to be able to be prepared, yeah. in, in a sense, where we're righteously protecting ourselves? I think there's the two of these areas where, where I think we have failed. One is where we righteously protect ourselves, and then on the other hand, where we unrighteously circle the wagons and, and cloak things that those are probably the two great ways in which this can be abused. Yeah. So it can be, a, it, we can lead our church into a very dangerous situation by not being prepared. Mm. And then we can also lead our church in, into a way in which we, we do tremendous damage to, to specific people that have been in our church, but then also do great damage to the reputation of the church and both of those things, I think, ought to be on our radar and ought to matter. I think maybe one ought to be far more than the other. That is, a, a, a child has been hurt and a family has right. been, been very badly hurt, and we need to make sure that they're taken care of. But again, we not, that we not use the law as a cloak to hide sin. Right. And on the other hand, that we use where we can use resources available to us, like you mentioned in the pandemic, of, of actually appealing to Caesar legally uh, for the help and benefit of the church so yeah. that it, it, it actually helps so that, I mean, some guys are going to say, hey, we're going to meet together. And if that means I go to jail, I go to jail. If that means I get penalized, I get penalized. I'm just going to do what I, I can do. On the other hand, maybe a guy says, look, and there is a way in which I can wisely use the system and the laws, which have generally been protective of Christians. Yeah. Uh, and even in the, in the last 15 or so uh, church cases that have gone before the Supreme Court, They've all gone in favor. The last fifteen have all gone in favor of the church. Yeah. So I think we need to understand that that God has blessed us right now, but we do need to be. I think we need to be wise in thinking through how to be prepared. Yeah, and I think I want to reiterate that regardless on where you are, in, in, as a pastor in a church, that you have at least ac- you have access to a lawyer of some kind, a Christian lawyer who's going to share the same values you have. Uh, to be able to, again, whether it's an official capacity of just having them on retainer, uh, like you mentioned, or just somebody you know you can reach out to, this is one of those things you don't want to kind of Google things and think you know what you're talking about. <laughs> Go to a lawyer who knows what they're talking about, that knows right. the law, knows how things work. Um, that's one of those specialized areas that is worth even spending some money to to have. The other thing I want to share is that, that I think it's important that a pastor not assume that these areas of the church, like insurance 
and things are being handled well in their church. So I watch pastors going to a new church, you know, they're there 12 months, 18 months, whatever. And they've had a deacon or somebody, you know, uh, a tre- you know, a financial secretary, whatever is who, who's kind of always handled the insurance stuff. And it almost is kind of like hands off. It's like a sacred cow, like pastor, we don't bother yourself with this. And I just, I want to push back on that and encourage all pastors to know exactly what, because you're the one that's going to answer for it, not that mm-hmm. treasurer, not that right. financial secretary. You need to know what insurance you have and don't have, and you need to figure out if you need to tweak that. Just because the church has done something for 20 years and they think it's right, doesn't mean at all they're doing it, things right, and they have these bases covered. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I would just encourage you, don't put your head in the sand with this stuff if somebody's doing it. You may hate administration. The last thing you want to do is comb into the insurance policies of the church. Right. But I just want to encourage you that you need to know what's there because they'll come after you first if you have missed something in regard to this. Uh, Jim, last thing I want to just throw out there in, in this conversation is is policies we would make as churches right. around things like. So let's let many things we can talk. Let's go to the let's go to the wedding one because this is one that most all of us faced. I don't know five six years ago when maybe it was longer than that. It's been it's been a while, but the. When I believe it was the ruling of, of yeah, the, legaliz- the, the legalization of, of same-sex marriage in certain states and things, and that what I remember the the evangelical response to that was really interesting. It was <laughs> it was this sweeping. Now all these churches wrote all these marriage policies right like the week after, and right. and put them all in place and like and the irony of it. Is they they thought they were protecting themselves, and again, I, I want to acknowledge that I, there's certainly there's a part of this, but I had a wise lawyer tell me that what the, that many who were doing that actually set themselves up in a way that that was bad. Okay, and and so I, I again I think that's why we need to we need good counsel on with people who know what they're talking about around policy stuff. So having said that, what kind of what kind of wedding policy stuff do you have in your church around these changing laws? Yeah, so we we had to alter our what had been our our policy and and uh, in your bylaws had, or you wrote a new it, policy. It was actually it's, it's put into our church constitution. Okay, okay. So it, it is there's a general statement on sexuality and the use of the building and okay. and, and part of what we had we had been counseled, Brian, is that the that the the state is loath to get involved in religious matters and in a sense the more religious you can make it the more bible verses you can use the more it's tied into your faith the the more they just really don't want to they just don't want to touch it uh, that's interesting. Uh, you know so you, you there's even that incident in the book of acts like that that it, you know they were like oh now we found it's it's related to this jesus who they said was dead and Paul said was alive. You know, it's just matters relating to their religion. So it's like we don't want to have any. If he had not appealed to Caesar, we would have just yeah. let him go. Yeah. Um, and, and so this the state is is loath to do is to get involved in that. And and so you know, so in the past we had had a general practice because we were nomadic for years. We were we'd spent the first 6 years of our life moving from place to place and other and were reliant on the generosity of other churches to to have certain kinds of meetings, baptisms, weddings, uh, our Thanksgiving service and whatnot. Other churches helped us out that I felt that we had a moral obligation to make our churches open to others okay. um, who were in a similar situation, okay. you know. So 
But then we had to realize, okay, we need to put something in. We need to put some parameters in. And so, I mean, we generally have a policy now, something that we're only going to marry. You know, we, we will only bless uh, marriages uh, among church members. Okay. Now, we can, we can at our discretion, do, do other than that. But so that way, somebody has to be the, the process of church membership. And, yeah. and again, uh, in order to join our church, they need to have a life that's, that is which, in fitting with the fruits of the gospel. Which and, generally detracts people if all they want to use your building for is a wedding. Right, right. But we, we face something similar, but, but it was a little different situation that we have this kind of old, beautiful, historic church in the middle of this uh, area of Louisville that was that uh, pe- a lot of people knew about. And it, it had this... This big, bright sanctuary, mm-hmm. and though it doesn't have a middle aisle, it had two side aisles. Right. Other than that, it's an ideal place to have a wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, when a lot of a lot of old historic sanctuaries are dark and and kind of have a dingy look, this had a very bright look to it. So we got random calls constantly because the church had been there for you know seventy years. So people who grew up there knew about it, and we got. I mean, just weekly on the answer machine, we we get calls, people right. who wanted to just, just use our building for right. the wedding. And we realized quickly that we had to come up with something to try to safeguard this because we didn't want to just let this be open to the to the community in, in that way. So a while a while back, we wrote a wedding policy. One other thing had happened, I had been taken advantage of in some wedding situations. And my elders stepped in and said, we're actually writing a policy to protect you. So mm. let's do this all at once. So we wrote a wedding policy that basically puts the safeguards up you're talking about that we the the building and weddings are basically closed to members but the pastors are given discretion uh to to do something different if they want and that's that has been a great safeguard for us mm-hmm. and a safeguard for the person doing doing the wedding so there's other aspects to this why wedding policy I mean not all be legal issues you might face legally but this is one. This is the one we w- I wanted to bring up and talk about because I think it's the most common that every pastor is going to deal with. People are going to want to get married, and with the climate change and the culture changing, uh, I think that's probably where it's going to hit closest to home. Where you know you have a you have a couple who wants to get married in your church that's not going to share the same values that your church has, and you have a decision to make. And if you don't have something in po- in place to be able to say this is a policy of the church, mm-hmm. um, they, then it can get. I mean, you can get pretty difficult fast with uh, in regard to being sued and hate crimes and all these kinds of things. So th- these that's just one of many reasons why we need to why we need to continue to have this conversation. But we need to wrap this conversation up uh, as there's obviously so many other things we could we could talk about. So any final word you want to give, Jim? Brian, I, I think again we we want to have to we need to recognize that. Uh, as as we strive to live honorably in the sight of God and the sight of all men, that it is it is wise for us to be prepared for for these these eventualities, uh, whether they that that are either will come or that are likely to come. That we at least I just don't want brethren to be caught flat-footed. I think it's part of our providing uh, for the safe care uh, of those entrusted to us. I'm about to take a minute and pray that God will help us all do that. Lord, thank you for the way that you work in our lives in the midst of being sojourns in this world. And we are not of this world, and, and we thank you for the way you saved us from our sins and saved us even from um, belonging to this world in that way. And yet, Lord, we recognize you are at work in this world. You use even government and laws to bring justice in this world. And so we pray, Lord, you would help 
pastors and churches to use wisdom in these challenging and unique days and whatever is coming that would uh, help us to know what we need to do in our churches, what policies to have, what ways to protect ourselves, recognizing that the world will hate Jesus and his people, and there's no escaping that. Lord, help us to find that balance, give wisdom and clarity where it needs to be given. And we ultimately pray, Lord, that we would function in these ways around laws and lawyers and lawsuits and all those kinds of things that may come our way, that we'd be light in a dark place, and you would help us to do that in whatever way we are able. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.